Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Perkyavus podcast with Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, where we live with the ethics of the Torah. If you have any questions or comments or would like to reach out to say hello, my email address again is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. For this week, we continue with Perek Aleph Mishnayos Ches and Tes, Chapter One, Mishnahs. Eight and nine. We'll be doing two Mishnayas tonight. And the Mishnah, Mishnah Ches and Mishnah Tes are the teachings of Yehuda ben Taboy Vishiman ben Shetach. Yehuda ben Taboy and Shimon ben Shetach. And just to give a little bit of a background, we've been dealing till now with different peers. And Yehuda ben Taboy. And Shimon ben Shetach, they were the th- third set of peers that we were discussing. And in the peers that we we're bringing down, each one of the Mishnayos, right? That we're, we're saying we're teaching them together. We say we we say one of the teachings of one of the peers, and then we say the next teaching. So the first one is the Nasi, which I is the president who was the president of the congregation of the Jewish people. And the second of the pairs that are listed when, we, when we're saying the different teachings of these pairs, the Zugais, as the mission refers to it as, is the Av Beisdin. So, which is the, the person who was in charge of the, of the, of the I guess, the court, the, 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 the rabbinical court. So you had the Nasi, which was like the president of the Jewish people, and the Av Beisdin, who was in charge of the Sanhedrin, the great court, the Supreme Court of the Jewish people. And in this Mishnah, there is some unclarity as to who is the Nasi and who is the Av Beisdin, the, the, the person. Literally, it's translated as the father of the court. And the, there is a discussion as to who was who, which one was which. And the, it's brought down that Yehuda ben Taboy if you go with the opinion that says he was the Nasi, he was the president, he actually left the land of Israel to go to Alexandria to get out of trying to be the Nasi. He didn't want to be the president of the Jewish people until he was asked to come back and said that the Jewish people needed him. He finally came back from Alexandria, Egypt, to be the leader of the Jewish people. Now, it's also important to note that the t- this time was during the existence of the second temple, the second base Amigdash, um, specifically during the reign of King Yanai. And I mentioned before, Shimon ben Shetach is the other one of the peers here. Shimon ben Shetach was the sister, sorry, was the brother-in-law of King Yanai. Now, King Yanai was a, a king who turned bad, and at a certain point, he purged the Jewish people of the different scholars of the, of the, of the members of the Sanhedrin. He killed out um, the rabbis. He went after them. And the Gemara explains the story as to what happened, and what caused them to do that. But Shimon ben Shetach was saved by his sister, who was the queen, Shlom Tzion. And he hid her. She hid, she hid him to have them avoid being killed by her husband. And it's interesting to note that Shimon Ben Shetach was a had two 
major enactments, which even to this day are, are felt by the Jewish people. Number one was Shimon ben Shetach instituted as, a, as one of the leaders of the Jewish people, he instituted the Ksuba. So the Ksuba, as we know it, is the marriage document that a husband gives to his wife, which ensures it's a contractual ob obligation that the sages commanded on the husband to support his wife. And in the event of the wife, uh, in the event that the husband divorces his wife or if the husband passes, it ensures a, um, a minimum amount of money, not a minimum, a, a, a required amount of money for the wife to be able to, to, um, to live, to survive. And actually, this is actually one of the, the Ksuba, I think, I believe is probably one of the earliest documents of, you know, that protected the, the rights of women to ensure that a, a woman is not going to be taken advantage of and that she would have what she would need in case, you know, her marriage would end either via divorce or via her husband passing on. And that's something which is we do today. Every person who gets married, according to halacha, they have a kasuba. And the kasuba is part, is very much part of the marriage process. It's read after, you know, the, the betrothal. The kasuba is, re is read out loud. And it enumerates the different obligations that the husband has towards his wife currently as a husband. And in the event that, he either they get divorced or if they uh, he, he passes on that she should have for her needs. Another um, takana, another enactment that Shimon ben Shaddach made was that he was the one of the first people to start a, a school system. You know, till this point in time, the way that education worked is that a father would educate a child. A, a, a son would learn from his father, the Torah, mitzvos, what to do, what not to do. And Shimon ben Shetach instituted that for those children who did not have fathers, who did not have someone to learn from, that they would have a place to go to know what the Torah says, to know what to do, to how to perform mitzvos. And he was the first person who instituted this system of schooling, which really, it really spread its wings over the generations to really include everybody. Nowadays, you know, obviously a parents educate their children, but we send our children to yeshiva, to schools, to Jewish schools, to, um, to give over that job to a certain extent, partially to the teachers, the moras, the, the teachers and the, and the rebbies to give over to our children the, the way of the Torah. And that is something which was instituted by Shimon ben Shetach. Now, the Mishnah reads, Yehuda ben Taboy and Shimon ben Shetach kiblu mehem. Yehuda ben Taboy and Shimon ben Shetach received the tradition from them. Yehuda ben Taboy Omer. Now, the Mishnah starts off with the teaching of Yehuda ben Taboy. When serving as a judge, do not act as a lawyer. 
And while the litigants stand before you, you they should be in your eyes as guilty. And when they're dismissed from you, you you should look at them as innocent. Provided they, they have accepted the judgment. So the Mishnah is giving us a teaching here, seems to be primarily talking to a judge the, that when a person is judging a case, a, a dayan as a term for judge in Hebrew, when a case comes before a judge, the way he should look at the defendants as while he's judging them is as if that they're both wicked. And once the case has been decided, so then he changes his outlook and he looks at them both as righteous. Interesting. So a few different questions we have here is, you know, what is this Mishnah trying to teach us exactly? How is it re relatable to me? You know, I'm not a judge. I don't judge people. I don't, I'm not involved in uh, the court system. I'm not even a lawyer. So how is this Mishnah something I could learn from? What is in this Mishnah that I could take out of? So the first, just to give a basic explanation, the Mishnah on a simple level is teaching us a little bit of how to be objective. And that's crucially important for a judge. You know, we, we all are flesh and blood. And probably one of the hardest things for a person to do is to be totally objective. Now, for, for each and every one of us, normally that's not such a big problem, right? We're objective. So how much of a ramification does that have? You know, obviously we have to work on this trait to not just, you know, uh, judge people based on how they look or how that, you know, give everyone a fair shot. But for a judge, this could be extremely important. If a judge is not neutral and is not looking at a case in the proper way, he's looking at exteriors or he has other things that are blocking him from making a, a correct decision, um, he's going to be blinded to the truth and he's not going to make the right decision. And the decision that he makes could have a very big ramifications. So the Mishnah is giving us a, a crucial insight for judges. And I believe us as well, we can take a lesson out of it for ourselves. The Mishnah is telling the judge, don't, when someone comes to you, don't say to yourself, well, okay, this guy is righteous. I know already, he's a righteous guy. He's a big tzaddik. He's a very righteous person. And this other guy, he's not such a great guy. Don't start off the case with preconceived notions. And don't, Try to make claims for people. Don't act as a lawyer for your defendants. Don't try to say to yourself, oh, I should try to tell him what he should claim. The judge has to know his place. He has to know what he's supposed to be doing. So number one is when the people come to him, he should look at them both as wicked. If he looks at them both as wicked, so then he's going to stay more objective. He's not going to keep his 
he's not going to be pulled to one person's way more than the other. And secondly, he has to know his place. He shouldn't be offering up advice to one side or, you know, trying to bring out um, information from another side. Even if it's true, even if it's a correct line of logic, he still cannot do that. He has to be the judge. Don't be the lawyer. Know your place. Know your position. And I feel like the lesson that we can take out for this Mishnah, even if we're not judges, is to know our place. I remember when I was taking training to become a lifeguard, the uh, instructor told us that, you know, there's certain, certain things called good SAM laws, that if someone, you know, provides emergency services, he gives CPR to somebody or a first aid, and let's just take it to the extreme, he kills the guy, right? Someone who needs CPR and he starts doing things and because he overdid it or something, he damaged the person that he tried to save. So he, the, my instructor told us that there's something called good Sam laws, good Samaritan laws. And if somebody tries to help someone else and he ends up hurting them, you're protected by good Samaritan laws. But he put a important postscript there. You're only protected if you do something that you are qualified to do. If you start doing things that you're not qualified to do, right? If a guy starts, just for example, he starts giving oxygen when he's not qualified to give oxygen and he damages someone else because of that. So you could be, someone could come after you because of that because you're not qualified to do that. And I, and I feel like the mission is giving us important insight. You know, we all deal with others. We know how it feels when people give us quote unquote advice, right? They tell us how we should be doing things. We know how it feels. How do you feel when that person comes over to you and tells you how you should be doing your job? Do you like that? I don't like that. We know how it feels when someone comes over to us and says, you should be doing A, B, and C. You're doing things wrong, this wrong, that wrong, and this wrong. And the way you should be doing it is this way, right? What's our first reaction? Our first reaction is, what do you mean? I've been doing this job for 25 years, and now you're coming in here and telling me well, I'm doing everything wrong, and, and uh, this is how I should be doing it? It's very abrasive. It hurts. Even if a person has a, has a point to what they're saying, right? There's a way of saying things, and there's a way of saying things. But if we know how that feels, you know, we have to be careful ourselves when we give this, quote, unquote, advice. You know, we shouldn't be giving, telling others what to do. Number one, if we're not qualified to be telling others, if we're not qualified in a certain field, if we're not, you know, uh, we don't know anything about it, just giving our opinions, our thoughts. You can't just throw things at people like that, especially people do, could be doing this job for years. To be very careful on how you uh, approach um, these situations, you know, don't, you know, to be to know our places. That's what I think I feel is a, a lesson from this Mishnah. That although the Mishnah is talking to judges, the Mishnah is telling that judge, know your place. Don't overstep your boundaries. And I feel that's a, a very important life lesson for each and every one of us because 
we have to know our places as well. We have to know that there's things that we're qualified in to, to give our, our advice for, and there's things that we're not. You know, many times I, I remember a, a rabbi of mine telling us, you know, sometimes people, they'll say, how come the rabbi did this and he did that? And, and how could he do this? And they have questions. You know, if you would ask that person who is criticizing the rabbi, if he could, if he could answer a question halacha in Jewish law, is this person qualified to do that? So how is he, why is he giving his opinion on, every, and, on everything else the rabbi is doing? Is he qualified? You know, you want to, you want to bring something up? Fine, you could bring something up, but there's ways of doing things and there's ways of doing things. There's ways, there's ways of doing things in a constructive manner. But just opening our mouth to just throw information um, to our, towards other people, this quote-unquote advice, to be very careful with that, to know our places. And you know what? Even in a situation where we, like we said, even if it's true, we still have to be careful and know our place. And, and there are ways that we can approach others in an effective fashion where people won't be resentful to the information we're trying to give. You know, and this is something I believe is, a, is an art and something you gain through life, saying things in a very non-aggressive way, in a very positive way. And um, it's something which I bet we could talk about in a different, on, on a different episode on a diff- from a different Mishnah. But I believe this Mishnah is giving us this insight of knowing our places and being careful on how we give, quote unquote, advice to others, even if it's true. Now, the Mishnah continues. We said when they come to you, you should look at them as wicked people to keep that level of um, objectiveness. Once they leave, and once that you, you decide the law, the judge decides this is going to be the ruling. You have to, the judge has to look at them as both righteous people to not say, okay, you know, even though he ruled against one person and you ruled for another, you should look at them both as good people, both as righteous and don't look at one or the other. And, and the commentaries explain that, you know, we're, we are flesh and blood and we only could see as much as we could see. God has given us the ability to make decisions as to who should be right and who should be wrong, but we don't know everything. So therefore, that gives us the ability and the reason why we should look at both people as good people. And whatever happened, happened. You know, it's not a personal thing. It's not personal. And I, I feel like the lesson for us is that when things happen between us, between others, we get into disagreements, we... We have a, a, a some type of uh, argument. You know, how many times do people, you know, there's years and years of relationships that get destroyed because of one argument, because of one fight. You know, think about it. Does it make sense? People are siblings. They're children and parents. And, and there's years and years of, of, of love years and years of relationship, years and years of time spent together. And it all gets thrown away from one thing, from one argument, from one disagreement. Doesn't make any sense, you think about it. Obviously, the emotions are raw. People get hurt. People have egos. But I I feel the mission is giving us an insight. When we get into a disagreement, 
And God willing, I hope we're all people that we try to work through our disagreements. We try to figure things out, to, to reconcile. Once we reconcile, we, we fix things up, we should try to look at the other party, like we said, like the Mishnah says, as righteous. You know what happened? Happened. And let's go forward. As hard as it may be, it's something that we need to work on. To not look at the other party as, as evil, as bad. I mean, I'm not saying anyone needs to be taken advantage of. You don't need to be taken advantage of. You have somebody somebody you're dealing with who's, who's like that. You have to watch yourself. But I'm talking about regular, normal people. That once we're able to reconcile with someone, we should. We should do this. And once we do, we should try to have that attitude to look at them as a good person. To not take everything so, so personal, to try to back up a step and to look at both parties as good, to accept what happened, it's done, what's over, we're trying to fix it, and we're going to go forward. Not harp on the past because it just it doesn't really help. It doesn't really help. You know, as, as hard as it may be sometimes to push away any pain or hurt, in the end, you know, when you're able to truly reconcile the relationship, the relationship is a stronger, is at a stronger point than it was originally. And this is something, you know, that they talk about, you know, when someone sins, it's a little bit off of on a, on a tangent. Now, when someone sins, they, they, there's like this rope that goes to God between our soul and God. And when we sin, we cut that rope. But we have the ability to do teshuva, which is to return to God. And when we return, what we're doing is we're retying the rope. And if you think about it, when you retie the rope that you originally cut, are you closer now to the source, to God? The rope is shorter. So even though you cut it, you retied it, and the retying brought you closer together. And I, and I feel like this mission has given us a little bit of an insight into that, that even though it's hard and challenging, some has overlooked these, these arguments, disagreements, if we're able to, to look at both parties, at all the parties involved as righteous and good and trying to get things better, we're in a better point than when we would have been originally. And it makes us even a stronger and better person with stronger relationships. Just to continue the next Mishnah. Mishnah Tess continues on this thought, this teaching of judges. Shimon ben Shetach Shimon ben Shetach says, he says, interrogate the witnesses extensively. Yet be cautious with your words, lest they learn from you to lie. So Shimon ben Shetach is teaching us, teaching the judges, that when it comes to witnesses, right? that's a key part of testimony in Jewish law, having witnesses. You know, certain punishments can only be given if there's two witnesses and there's warnings. It's very, it's very um, extensive what's needed in order to find someone liable in a, in a court of Jewish law, especially in cases of capital punishment. And he's telling us, be careful. Make sure you probe the witnesses properly. And at the same time, don't let the witnesses know what angle you're coming at you from, where you're coming from because you don't want them to learn your techniques as a judge, because if they know 
which direction you're coming from, they could try to game the system to prepare the correct answers. So therefore, he's telling he's telling the judges, make sure you you are thorough in your examination, your cross examination of the witnesses, and at the same time, don't you know overplay your hand, don't expose your hand to them to so that they should know the direction you're coming from or what your angle of reason is, and so on and so forth. Now, the background on this mission is actually very fascinating. Rebruvian Feinstein brings down that originally that we know the Torah tells us if someone knows testimony and does not testify, it's a sin. That means that if we know something and the Torah obligates us to give testimony, and if we don't, it's like, it's a sin. And it, it, he brings down at Ruvain that the sages were very thorough in their examination and cross-examination of the witnesses. And they were so good that the people who came to testify, even if they were telling the truth, got the feeling that maybe that they were lying, that, that the court of Jewish law, the Bezdin, didn't believe them. So people started saying to themselves and reasoning that if, if I'm just going to be made out to be a liar, I'm not interested in coming. I don't want to testify. It's not worth the aggravation. It's not worth the hassle. So the sages started to start to loosen the requirements of a witness to come and testify, that they shorten the process of cross-examination. So people should be encouraged to testify um, in a court of law. The only thing is that this method and this thought process backfired because since the whole cross-examination, examination of the witnesses became more speedy and it was not as thorough as it was before, people who were the bad actors, the, the guys who were the evil people took advantage of this and they started playing with the system to rig the system, to get away with things that they shouldn't have been able to get away with. And this culminated with an innocent man being framed and murdered. Shimon Beshetach, as I mentioned before, was the only member of the Sanhedrin, the great court, to survive during the purge of King Yanai. And the Talmud relates how Shimon Beshetach would outsmart, there was these Sadducees, the Tzedukim, who were on the Sanhedrin, who, who, who I guess they were able to get on to this high court of Jewish law, and he was able to outsmart them to get them off the Sanhedrin. But these the Sadducees framed Shimon ben Shetach's son, which led to his innocent son being killed. And because of that, Shimon ben Shetach says, he, te he tells us this teaching. He's telling the judges from his own experience, don't do what happened to my son. Be extensive. Be thorough in the examination. Don't let what happened to my son happen to anybody else. And that's where he's coming from, which is really very fascinating. It was based on a, a, a situation that happened that he experienced. And I feel that a lesson, two ideas that we can take out of this for ourselves, even if we're not a dayan, a judge, that we see that there's this idea here that the Chachamim or the, some of the, the judges of that time, you know, and maybe they had, I'm sure they had a calculation 
that they loosened up the process of giving testimony for a good intention. And I, and I feel like there's a very powerful lesson here that when it comes to, you know, things that we have to do for Hashem, things we have to do for God, we have to realize that we can't cut corners. That even if we have a good intention to, to, to encourage more people to come to testify, we can't start cutting corners to accomplish that. Meaning we have to do our part and Hashem will do his part. We do ours and God will take care of the witnesses coming. And I feel like this could be applied to really any area in Judaism. You know, many, many times people say we need to do, we need to, we need to cut this out of the religion in order to preserve it. You know, it's, it's something which is, you know, we don't do that. We don't cut corners. You have to be like a, a Moshe Rabbeinu, a King David to, to do such a thing like that. For us, you know, we're, we're not on the level. We're not qualified to make those type of decisions. We can't make decisions like that. So the, the lessons for us is that we should not, we should realize that when it comes to doing the right thing, we should just do the right thing. Don't try to not do the right thing because you want to preserve the religion. You want to save more people. You want to get more people involved. And, and an, an example of this is that many times people make, you know, accommodations for, you know, they'll say, you know, uh, we want to do, um, to reach more Jews. We want to do this. We want to do that. No, we have to do our part and God will do his part. And that's an attitude we should have for anything we do. You know, be careful of going down that road, the slippery slope of, okay, I'm going to do this wrong thing, but it's really going to help bring about more good. You know, as the expression is, is like uh, the road to Gehenna, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That many times, a lot of the bad things people do, people had good intentions originally. The idea is that we should just do what the right thing is and God will take care of us. A second thought of which I wanted to bring down about this Mishnah is the last part of the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Havizor bidvarecha. You should be careful with your words. Right? And, and we explain that that is telling the judge don't let the witness know which angle you're coming from, that he should be able to, to recognize your line of reason, to recognize your, your style, and therefore he'll just tell, tell his buddies how to game the system. That's the simple understanding of the Mishnah. There's, other, there's another understanding of this, which is for us, I think we can take out of this, is that when it comes to our words, we need to be very careful. Havizar bidvarecha. We need to be careful with our words. We shouldn't just, just, just talk. We shouldn't just talk, you know, especially when it comes to, to um, other people, right? There's, there's halachos, there's laws of lush and hara, of evil speech. We're not allowed to talk about others. And the mission is telling us that we need to be careful about what we say about others, about different situations. And the, the story that's brought down, or Ruben Feinstein brings down, is that there was once a, a butcher uh, kosher butcher and there was somebody who saw a truck pull up and it was unloaded a non-kosher meat truck pull up and start unloading stuff and this guy ran to the rabbi and said say oh, this is what happened and you know and the rabbi said okay you know he, he asked the butcher the butcher denied it vehemently he said i would never do that i would never do that and the rabbi told him the halacha in this case is since he you know he's believed this man we don't have any proof you can't eat there and you can't tell anybody else about it and this guy, that's the halacha, because, you, you know, you need two witnesses, two witnesses, and he's only one. 
So this guy couldn't hold his lip and he started telling people and soon enough, the whole town knew about it. And this butcher had to leave town in a disgraced fashion. You know, a few weeks later, he's passing by the same butcher shop and he sees the same truck there again, unloading boxes. And he goes over to the truck and he says like, the store is closed. What happened? The, the, he's like, I, I'm not delivering anything to the store. So what are you doing here? Well, I had a flat tire and I need to unload my truck to jack the truck up. So why are you doing it here? Well, there's light. There's light here. Nowhere else in this block is there light. So this, did you ever do this before? He said, yeah, a few weeks ago, this happened to me. And the man didn't know what to do to fix up his situation. You know, there's just one story of how words can destroy another. And I feel like it's so much more easier for us to understand this nowadays. All it takes for someone to ruin someone else's life is to press one button forward. But people are taking videos all the time. I feel like that's the first thing people do. Something happens, taking out a camera, videoing. And next thing you know, forward, all of a sudden it's around the whole world. You know, so you have somebody doing something, maybe a little bit embarrassing. And he is the next YouTube star. He didn't even know it. And you just made a person look like a fool. He could be a very upstanding person. And just, uh, I feel like this Mishnah rings so true for us that number one is we have to be careful what we say. And number two is we have to be careful what we do as well. Don't just press that forward button. Be very careful with it. Be very careful. Do you want to embarrass this person? Does this person agree that he sh- his embarrassment of his, his fall, his, his getting knocked on the head should be sent around the world? And I, and I think this is something which the Mishnah can teach us all, even if we're not judges. Different teaches things we can learn because every Mishnah is something that we can, each and every one of us can learn. And with that, I'm going to finish today's Mishnah. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at rabbishlamakom with a K at gmail.com. Everyone, have a great day.